0: Of the game. This is Love,
1: Set Match. I mean, Andre Agassi had this goal. You don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court, Like, right? You have to be better than someone that's across the net.
0: I think you got to stay active in a sports sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to get, give you a good feeling too.
2: Welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim, also known as Coach PK, the tennis pro for the Langham Huntington Hotel in sunny Southern California and the executive director for the nonprofit Love, Set, Match. Hello, everyone. Welcome to February. We're super excited that we're keeping this amazing schedule going with our tournament podcast. And I have to give all the credit to our incredible co-host, Valerie Garcia, because she is on top of it. Good morning, Valerie.
1: (laughs) Good morning. Fill up, uh, not really on top of it, but well, we'll see, right? Actually, I don't know if you probably already forgot. You're giving me credit where credit isn't due. I think it was the very first ep- um, recording we had. I forgot. I didn't put it in my calendar. <laughs> and and I, I forgot to do notes, so we ended up recording, like, I don't know, a day late or something. I just remember dr- definitely dropping the ball on the first one. <laughs>
2: Well, I thought the last podcast was so fun, even though you couldn't stay for the whole thing. We had you for the first half, and then we had Martin for the second half, and I thought both of you gave such great insight into the Australian Open, and wow, it was so fun to talk to you both.
1: Uh, I listened to Martin's section, and I I just love listening to that gentleman speak, a very eloquent speaker, and... He's um, so
2: tennis literate, isn't he? He's-
1: yes. Yes, for, for sure. And, you know, the, Brit- the British accent is, is something that we, we love here in the United States, too. we got to listen all day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he really turned me on to the idea of Italian players uh, coming up. So I've really been watching for that and seeing what's happening in Italy. So, you know, kudos for him being aware of that as well.
1: You know, he, I'm pretty sure it was him, you can tell me, that he said something describing the big three about like, if you want someone playing for your life, it's Novak. If you want pl- someone playing for your life on clay, it's Nadal. And then he said something about Federer that was the best way of describing Federer I've ever heard in my life. And I can't remember what it is, so I need to go back and listen. <laughs> I think it was, you know, something like if if you could only watch one player ever again or something, you know, it would be Federer. For, for the beauty, but, uh, that was, that was my favorite quote he's, he's ever said. And, and I'm going to um, take that to my grave. You know, it's, it's going to, it's going to live in my head and my heart forever, even though I can't remember it, but the feeling, whatever he made me feel like I'll never forget hearing that. Uh, it was very, very well said.
2: Really well described. I don't know if he deserves the credit as orig- originating that, but definitely bringing it to our attention. Cause I had never heard that before too. And yeah, again, just, such incredible insight and we're looking forward to having him come back when we're talking about Roland Garros, right?
1: Yes. And maybe, maybe even sooner. I'm pretty sure that he's, he's up for more. Um, I have to work out what, what the schedules look like. So
2: (laughs) yeah, that whole transatlantic thing, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So we had some exciting stuff, Philip, what were, what's going on? How's the, um, the nonprofit going?
2: Nonprofit's doing well. Thank you so much. And Great reminder to tell everyone that uh, this podcast is produced by the nonprofit Loves That Match, but it's sponsored by Tennis Pal. And Tennis Pal is the incredible app that you can use to find people to play with online. It's available on the Apple platform as well as the Android platform. It's free to download and you can find people to play with. And I think you just played this morning, didn't you?
1: I, I did play this morning with a group that i didn't find on tennis pal but i'm playing on thursday afternoon with someone who i met on tennis pal
2: wow that's awesome
1: yeah so i think uh there's there's never a day if you want to play tennis you don't have to go without a partner if you're if you're complaining you have no one to play with you're just not trying to find them on tennis pal
2: (laughs) and that's and that's holly's vision right is how can we connect more tennis players to play tennis build the tennis community. She really has a heart for that and I just love that about her. And she has been supporting us as a nonprofit since the beginning. So if you would like to support the podcast and the mission of our nonprofit, you can donate a tax deductible donation directly to Aces at lovesetmatch.org via Zelle. That's the absolute best way. Zelle still doesn't charge a percentage. Of course you can go to the website and donate via PayPal or Facebook on our Facebook page, but Unfortunately, those are percentage based, but hey, if that's easier for you, take it, right? So,
1: yes, and for for those who don't know, uh, the it it is a nonprofit, registered um, nonprofit, legal, all of those things, but we say it loosely as it being um, a producer of the show. But when you're donating, or yes, donating is the word to this nonprofit, the work that Philip does with this nonprofit is all geared towards like children and getting children on the court and children who can't necessarily like maybe because of the demographics or area might not have access to tennis. And so he does so much work to bring tennis into the community for the kids and the underprivileged. And so I just wanted to make it clear that um, even though <laughs> the the nonprofit, does produce this show when you do those uh donations they're going towards the best cause I can i can think of you know um getting getting tennis rackets in the hands of players who would never have that opportunity otherwise yeah
2: and valerie one of my favorite pictures of all time from our nonprofit uh, outreach in east la is you with the girls with the face painting at the park that was so fun and I feel like maybe that was one of the first times that those girls had ever played tennis just on that little uh flat top with a pop up tennis uh ball and a tennis net and I just thought that was so great and thank you so much for going out there and serving those kids
1: yeah of course um it's it's really fun and it's it's cool to see kids who have never had the never even had the like knowledge that tennis existed, let alone um a opportunity to play and they have so much fun they're running around and it's it's really great
2: and some of those kids have amazing skill remember that one boy that we were playing with he was able to hit like 17 times consecutively over the net and just kept it going and all the other kids wanted to see if they could do it too and you know at the <laughs> end of the day it's just a game right it's a fun fun game and how great yeah. is it if you can learn by playing a game so we always talk about gamifying everything in the learning process uh, as we're on all court. So, how great for these kids to just get excited and compete against each other and just see if they can hit the ball back and forth. And they don't even know that they're learning one of the greatest games in history.
1: Yes, uh, the best sport there is on earth. <laughs> if, if you ask me.
2: That's right. I'm 100% with you. Uh, you got to see my Instagram, Valerie. I just posted this morning a picture of a student that I coach and she's wearing an RF hat and I thought you would love that. Her name is Katie and she's a huge Fed fan also.
1: Nice. I can't, I cannot wait to see the picture for sure. Love me some Fed fans. (laughs) Yes. Whenever I'm watching tennis on TV, I'm, I'm searching the crowd for like, because you know, it used to be, there used to be hundreds or thousands of Fed hats. and, And now, you know, you see like them scattered throughout like one in every 200 people you'll see somebody with the rf hat it just still makes me very happy um actually since since you brought up fetter this is um not on the top of the agenda but sadly there's headline news they the first time in ranking atp uh ranking history that there is not um a single-handed backhand in the top ten.
2: Right, I saw that in the ATP men's side. Uh, the, the men are not playing with the single-handed backhand, right? So the highest probably was uh, Stan, I guess. No, maybe uh, Sitsipas.
1: Yes, I think Sitsipas is the one that got knocked out of the top ten, and that's that's what broke it.
2: Right. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun to just do a list of all the single handers and talk about their, their game. And uh, yeah, it's tough to be a single hander. I mean, when I try to teach some, uh, I have a student who loves the idea of a single handed backhand. And so we just go ahead and do that. And But the first thing I teach kids is double handed because most people, their left hand is just not that coordinated, not that strong. So they need that extra support uh, from the right hand. Some kids, when they first start playing, they play double-handed on both sides, you know? Yeah. Age, because it's hard to hit the ball, you know? It's hard to have coordination at that age.
1: <laughs> yes, which I think is why they uh, moved towards different balls and smaller rackets. But people back in the 70s, 80s, probably even early 90s, when you're learning as a kid, they didn't have those things. You had a adult racket and an adult ball.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you had to figure it out. <laughs>
2: So amazing that they could even lift a 14 ounce racket as a kid, you know, cause they're all wood. So.
1: Yeah. And they all learned to play with a single handed backhand.
2: Somehow. huh?
1: Yeah. So it can be done, but I think, uh, yeah, with this technology these days and, and a field full of pushers, I think, um, it's a uh, very few and far between that. You're going to find someone like a Stan, um, because I think even Post, although he was in the top 10, I do think he was, people can pick on his backhand because of it being a single-handed.
2: Yeah, I'd love to hear what people think. Uh, we digress a little, but I just love the idea of talking about a single-hander and uh, uh, there's the obvious um, deficit of trying to hit a high single-handed backhand, which is why you know Federer lost against Nadal. Yeah. Uh, As I'm teaching a single handed backhand, I'm always struck with how much preparation you need, how much more space you need uh, in order to set up for the single handed and then to swing all the way through, open up your chest, have the racket fly above your head, right? Mm -hmm. Beautiful stroke. But you just need so much preparation time in order to do that. And I wonder if, you know, the whole idea of the game getting so much faster the technology they're just hitting harder look at Sinner, how hard he's hitting and you just don't have that prep time you know
1: yeah yeah it's true um well, i don't keep in my single hander so <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think at our level the ball's a little slow
1: yeah for for sure <laughs> nice so <laughs> um I'm. I'm going to keep my single-handed, uh, very inconsistent, <laughs> weak, weakness of a shot in my game. <laughs> no one could take it away from me because you know what? Every now and then, when it hits, there's nothing that feels better.
2: <laughs> right, and just knowing how beautiful it looks too. You know, it's it's the art of the game.
1: Yes, for sure. And we have we have an artist to talk about today. One in particular, I think, is an artist. Um, Someone who I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about, our three, three-peat champion of Doha, the first 1,000 event of the year for the WTA.
2: Yeah, lead us into it. As your dog is excited too.
1: Uh, my dog is so excited that I might have to go over there and uh, <laughs> lay down the law. I feel like, uh, you know, actually my neighbor has chickens on the other side of a chain link fence. So my dog sees the chickens and can't uh, can't calm herself down. Um, (laughs) If I start yelling, you're going to have to edit it out so I don't look like a psycho. All right, here we go. One, two, three, edit this out. Shirley! (laughs) Be quiet. I don't know if that'll work. Let's see. Okay. I think
2: that should be a meme that we should keep playing with <laughs> the episode
1: <laughs> now that the dogs have been, uh stopped barking i would love to talk about iga Swiatek, um our three-peat winner of doha uh doesn't drop a set on her way to victory
2: yeah But I don't, it wasn't that it was so easy. I did feel like she was challenged and there were moments where you felt like uh, she was in jeopardy. But yeah, she is just so mentally strong. And every time I'm watching her play, I'm thinking she's a huge Rafa fan. She's thinking Rafa, like, fight for every point, you know?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely a huge Rafa fan. And you're right, it wasn't easy. I mean, she really uh, had to battle her way, especially with Azarenka, um, I think, and then um Rabakina, our girl you know it's it's hard cuz i'm i'm just such a fan of all of them that when they were playing each other i'm <laughs> like i don't know who i'm rooting for um although i think sunday i was rooting for iga because i thought i thought um the loss would hurt iga more i feel like rebekana will bounce back but if if iga lost four in a row and went uh the the year title list title (laughs) list um not the golf ball uh (laughs) then I thought it would hurt her more and I felt like Rabakina would bounce back easier and plus she's actually already um she has the most wins on tour Rabakina she's at 15 this year
2: that's why I thought she would win honestly but you could tell in the middle of the first set she was really physically struggling uh and then she talked about it in the interview afterwards. Let's listen to this interview uh, talking about how she felt.
0: Well, I think it was a bit unlucky for me to get this problem with the leg at 4-1, because I had the momentum and uh, since I was already a little bit tired coming to this match, uh, I was pushing myself and even though it was 4-1, every point uh, was tough, we both were fighting, so that uh, moment I s- I will say was important and uh, unfortunately even I wanted to continue it was impossible it took a bit too long and then change of the balls and uh, I will say just generally today was quite windy not easy to play but we both both thought uh, fought till the end and uh, some things didn't go my way but it is what it is sometimes it goes my way so today is not the day but... Uh, I accept it and uh, really taking just positive from this week.
2: Yeah, so you could hear her, like, uh, even though she was 4-1 up uh, in that final, she was really struggling and things started to fall apart for her. So not taking anything away from Iga, of course, Iga won it, uh, no doubt. But definitely, Ryabakhine was tired and, and f- feeling something distracting her.
1: Yes, and it was very windy as well, which I think favors someone like Rab- um, Iga with better footwork and just quicker around the court. Um, that ball was flying all over the place. It, it actually was, was quite windy. And I remember Rabakina also in her semifinal match. She even made a comment in the interview, the on-court interview about, like, let's see how I can recover. you could kind of tell she was starting to feel the fatigue you know, when you when you win that much, it's it's great, and the confidence is all that is great, and all that. But you know, it does take its toll. They get they get tired. They are human,
2: <laughs> and still so young. It's amazing. Uh, a big part of Rubakina's game, of course, is the serve, and with that wind throwing your toss around, so hard to hit your spots or keep the ball in, and so then you start kind of pulling back and and not going for it as much uh and so you could see that that she was struggling with her serve as well
1: yeah did you see uh that i don't know if they showed um she hit her shin with her racket at one point and had to go get her leg taped up yeah i don't re- remember exactly but i think it might have been around three all and it was v- quite pivotal because she had or maybe four three she was she had been up two breaks and then uh she she lost the momentum, for sure. And you kind of, like, could feel a little switch.
2: Right. Yeah. I feel like she is one of the best players on tour right now. So I have every hope that she's going to continue to do well and that she will bounce back. And even though she's very uh, calm in appearance, I can tell that it's just a raging fire inside her. So I always am so intrigued to hear and think, how does she take it? What does she feel afterwards, you know? But... What yeah. is she, is she really as calm as she appears or does, does she?
1: She's not, <laughs> she's not, she's not. Cause she's said um, in many interviews, you know, that inside there's a, there's turbulence. And actually at, in this match, there was one point I actually saw her look a little bit irritated. Um, there was like this one point where she looked at her coach and it was the best face. Cause it was, perfectly, it was perfectly like Rybakina where she was expressionless, but it still said everything. Yeah. So she had given her coach, (laughs) she gave her coach this look. If I find it, I'll try and send it to you, but I probably couldn't, but it was great. And, um, I do though agree with you. I think she will bounce back better. Um, I I don't know that she'll take this loss to heart too bad. You know,
2: yeah, and I mean speaking of frustration, she actually injured herself because I think she threw her racket and it you know hit her or something.
1: oh, is that what happened? I thought she hit it with the follow through of her service service swing um I never hit rewind and I didn't see it happen live. I only remember the commentators were saying that it it was um from her service swing so I just took their word for it.
2: This is in the first set. 4-1.
1: Oh, that's good. You're checking, too, because it. I think it was, yeah, 4-1 when she was up two breaks, and then all of a sudden, uh, Iga broke back. Momentum shifted a little. Rebacana still had a chance to serve for the first set, though, and didn't hold. I think they broke each other like three times each in the first set.
2: Yeah, it was very hard for them to hold, and that shows you how good uh, Iga is in returning back in a serve but also I did feel like that uh Elena was not serving her best and had to really kind of take some off to keep it in in the wind
0: Mhm.
1: yeah
2: oh you're right it, it was on a serve yeah she hit herself on a serve
1: okay yeah I hadn't I hadn't seen it I I only that's just what the commentator said
2: I thought I saw her throw her racket maybe I was thinking
1: so she also dropped her racket at one point in the match where she, like, stepped on it by accident. She stepped stepped on it and knocked it out of her own hand.
2: Yeah, yeah that's what it <laughs> was. <laughs> Crazy.
1: I That would be some headline news if she threw a racket because she is quite... Uh, even though she has said she's raging underneath, she is pretty uh, calm on the outside. She's got the best poker face, you know?
2: I do remember... She did throw her racket um, or she was really upset when she was playing Paula Badosa at Indian Wells. And there was um, something that happened there where she like lost her uh, composure. But uh, yeah, I'll have to do some research about that.
1: Oh yeah. That will be interesting to see. Um, Well, she definitely, you know, holds herself quite graciously on the court. She's a great sport, and uh, they obviously said really nice things about each other in the trophy ceremony and everything. And I, I am happy that she's having such a great season. Uh, it is – it's sad that she lost, you know, that heartbreaker in Australia. But other th- – and then this this is a tough one. But if you're going to lose, like, I guess lose to the number one player in the world. <laughs> um yeah, but she's 15-match 15, 15 win streak, or not win streak, 15-match wins for the season, uh, which is the leader. And next uh, behind her is Ostapenko with 14 matches in this year. And Ostapenko has actually um, only lost this year to Azarenka. She's undefeated to the field. And I think she's 0-3. Uh <laughs> That's, that's
2: <laughs> the reason I thought Rubakina was going to win because she, I think she had won the last three against Iga uh, in in head-to-head matches. So yeah. I was really yeah. expecting, oh, Rubakina has this. But yeah, it's again, it's the human body and the physical. And you know, we talked about composure and and good sportsmanship. And there's no one better than Ostapenko, right? I mean, she was so gracious when she met Azarenka. at, the, Oh, wait. <laughs> it was completely <laughs> the opposite. She didn't even shake hands. She was not gracious. She was um, a loser.
1: I know. I was like, "Oh, Phillips doing the best April Fool's joke of all time." Um, <laughs> Ostapenko and gracious in the same sentence. Although, although I will say, um, Ostapenko is a huge Azarenka fan. She does really, really like Azarenka as a person, and maybe it has something to do with why she doesn't beat her. She she actually really likes Azarenka. I think the no shake was, um, from what I'm told, uh, from all my tennis, Um, but yeah, insiders, (laughs) because I'm just so inside, uh, is that it may be a a war-related thing.
2: Well, I was wondering if it was a uh, sickness, because she did offer her racket Right. So she she, offered her a racket and I thought, oh, they're going to do the racket tap because that was the old COVID thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, you know, we can't shake hands. We can't have physical contact. So we're just going to offer our racket, which is still like we do that at the court nowadays. We don't even shake hands anymore. We just touch rackets, you know. Yeah. So that's become the new norm. Uh, But. Yeah, it was funny, like uh, Azarenka's eye-rolling when she sees her offering the racket. <laughs> <laughs> she just keeps walking, you know. She's like, oh, my gosh, you know.
1: Yeah. That
2: was yeah. A hilarious, hilarious moment. Yeah. It was a really good fight. And what really impressed me was Azarenka's fight. I mean, just amazing how she was able to get those balls back uh, over and over, time and time, when Azarenka was pretty much- you know, she does what she does. She's hitting the ball so hard, right, and mm-hmm. trying to hit winners. But she, Azarenka would fight for those balls and get them back. And you just, you know, it just made me realize what a great defensive player she is.
1: Yeah. I mean, and she's not even in her prime, I don't think, anymore. I think she was, you know, way faster um, when she was younger and, yeah, I mean, I remember. I remember it used to b- upset me. Yeah, it used to upset me because she'd be running around chasing down all Serena's balls and uh, it would drive me crazy. But yeah, she played great, and she even played great against Ega. I mean, like you said, Ega was really tested, and I thought for the first set, I thought Azarenko was about to take it. Um, so she she's been playing really good a- as of late, and it's it's nice to see. I, I'm I'm happy to see it anyway.
2: All the more against person like Iga because uh, Iga is not hitting as hard as Ostevenko and so even though it's more tactical and there's a lot of spin it's slowing the ball down. Azarenka has just a little bit more time to get those balls back and she was doing that really well. Azarenka was, it was so impressive to see her fighting for every point, getting the ball back you know. Um, at the end it seemed like the last set Azarenka had nothing left but it yeah. was really impressive that she was able to Really go head-to-head, have almost the same level uh, as Vika, you know, world number one at this age, at this stage of her career. It was very impressive. It's all, it would be like watching Andy Murray going head-to-head with, you know, Djokovic and, and keeping up, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, so very, very good on Vika for that. Uh, you know who else was playing really well this tournament and started? I started getting all the feels, man. She she uh, swept me off my feet, and I'm feeling hopeful and very excited for the year. Um, Osaka back. This is uh, what her third tournament back, I think this year, and uh, she's playing well. She she beat Carol, Carol Garcia and uh, and Petra Martic. She played against Pliskova, your girl, who's also playing really well right now. Um, And Osaka, like, lost in two tough tie breaks. I was was impressed. I mean, she was – her footwork's looking better. Like, she's looking quicker. And she hits the ball so hard. Like, I forgot how beautiful her tennis is. It's – it just completely, like – it just mesmerized me. I got real excited and was like, "Oh man, I forgot that we were that we've been missing this for two years."
2: Yeah, yeah, I was impressed, definitely against Garcia because I feel like Garcia was a really tough opponent for Osaka, and so that gave me like hope in seeing her play. And and you and I had talked offline. Wow, her footwork is getting a lot better. She's definitely uh, exploding to that uh, defensive get for a ball like in the last tournament we watched she just was not moving she would not yeah. even try to go after the ball it would just whiz by her
1: yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. everything was whizzing by <laughs> that looks like me <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> like i don't have that explosive first step you know and and she did have that, a little bit of that definitely in this tournament i was not as impressed as you in the way that she was playing. I mean, you know, every so often she hits a great shot, like, wow, great. But her consistency is so low. I mean, so many errors. Yes. I I thought it was amazing that she won both sets. Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) that's how I
1: felt. Yeah. I, I think her game has, because she is a power hitter and she's aggressive, right? Like that is her game style. She is the aggressor. Um, people like that, when they're not on, they are going to hit more unforced errors than someone like an Iga. Someone who's like just a, maybe a little bit... Well, actually, Iga is pretty aggressive. That was a bad example. Um, some, but somebody who is a defender. Osaka?
2: Iga is a, a, a aggressive, but has so much spin and incredible footwork that she can keep it going.
1: Yes. Yeah. So she has the, she has the defense. She has the defense, even though she's an an offensive player Osaka doesn't really have that defense and she doesn't have the spin and the shape and all of that she's basically like uh I'm just gonna try and hit the ball out of the fuzz
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> is super fun to watch right
1: it, it is really fun to watch and I think that's why I was excited is because I was just uh really I, I forgot how hard she hits the ball yeah Um, and it got, it just got me excited. Then uh, a friend of mine was like, who are you most excited to see at Indian Wells? I don't, I, I actually said Venus because she hasn't been there in, you know, decades, but he was like, I'm excited to see Osaka. And I was like, you're right. I forgot. Oh my gosh. I want to see Osaka in person again. Um, I want to see her ball, uh, again. And I'd, I'd love to see her playing good. She came. So I did want her to beat Pliskova. Mainly because I wanted to see how she stacked up against Iga, you know? Yeah. And
2: what um, a good win for Pliskova, because I think in general, people in the tour think of her as like, you know, big... Serve bot? Yeah, serve <laughs> bot and can't play the game and can't win matches unless she's serving really well. And, and again, we're talking about a, a time where serving was tough, right, at, at this tournament and yet she was still able to get those. And she fought through those tie breaks. I mean, two tie breaks in a row that she won. That that takes nerves and guts. It was pretty impressive.
1: It does. And you know, her, her movement is fantastic. And she is a little bit of a serve bot just because she's a good server, but she actually has a really good game and good movement. I Some of the defensive shots she was pulling off on Osaka's shots i was like my jaw was on the floor <laughs> i was really i was really impressed
2: <laughs> i was too and uh you know she does have a pretty stellar forehand and that's what i've always loved from you know from the beginning is maybe she has an american style of game with a huge serve and a huge forehand you know her backhand is yeah. decent but uh it, it's always been her movement that kind of hampers her and she's a big girl you know so it's very tough for the taller ones usually
1: and she was taped up all over the place too uh she's actually because she's been playing so well i think she's you know her body's probably just feeling it exactly um so she didn't even she ended up retiring for the semifinal. so iga got the walkover um in another was it a quarter um, or the semi, Fernandez and Rubakina. Did you see that match? Because that was pretty exciting in the first set.
2: Yeah, the first set was exciting. I I, I was worried for uh, Elena for sure.
1: <laughs> Me too. I was like, no. I think she was like, uh, Fernandez got up a couple breaks, one or two breaks, one for sure. I mean, and she was rolling, and I was yeah, I was pretty scared. But then Elena. What a a comeback, what fight. Like, it's so good to see her hang in there.
2: She often will even lose the first set and come back in the next two, which is scary for her fans. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But just the fact that she can and and does. And so it makes me wonder if she's more like a Djokovic where she needs that challenge, she needs that push, you know, to get to that. She's not like a, a... a great front runner unless it's like an easy matchup you know
1: yeah yeah it's
2: interesting I mean
1: did you hear about the fan sorry (laughs) sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you (laughs) what's up did you hear about her fan who like tried to catch a ball she hit out hit in the crowd I don't even I don't even think it was a signed ball like she just hit a ball he like jumped over a wall or a rail or something and like faced in
2: between this, the railing and the seats. And there was like, he just literally disappeared. Yeah, that was scary. He was an older guy too, so I was worried for him.
1: Oh, I didn't, I haven't seen it yet, but I was listening to a podcast on my way to record this podcast and they were talking about it. it I think it's um, the TC Live, the tennis channel live. Um, they do, they do like a live broadcast show before the tournament, you know, the days, matches start, and they actually put that out into a little podcast, so I'm gonna have to go see if there's, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go look for that video because now I'm curious. It's
2: on, it's on there, yeah, and the man was at the railing, reaching over, and then literally just did a 360 and fell Ooh. down, and oh. fell. I have no idea how he's doing, but that was really scary, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, when you, I mean, I hope it was worth it. That ball that just wasn't even signed from her.
2: Definitely not worth it. Definitely not worth it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Philip, you're a coach. I have a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna take us out of out of that into some um, into. Oh, go ahead.
2: Go back to Osaka because the exciting thing for Osaka is that she's gonna jump 450 places in the WTA r- rankings on Monday. So,
1: wow.
2: Yeah, it's gonna go way way up. But the other—it's
1: so going to go way, way up to what, 120? Yeah. <laughs> or 70? Oh, that's which amazing! Is
2: huge. But uh, the sad thing is, she did pull out of um, the next tournament, which is Dubai, Dubai. which actually started already. Hopefully, she's okay and she'll play Indian Wells because that's what we're all waiting for here in California.
1: Oh yes, please play Indian Wells. I—I um, I hadn't heard that. I maybe yeah. I guess it's a process to get used to being on tour again, right? Physically, probably. Um, Match play is so much different than all the training.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think she, see, I'm reading here that if she gets through the quarterfinals at Indian Wells, she would move up to around 160 in the rankings. So she's still far down.
1: Oh, dang, she has to win. She has to get to the quarterfinals of a 1,000 event to get that. Well, I think she's played Summer. forever.
2: I mean, come on, you know.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, she. I think everyone wants her to be ranked. No one wants her name floating in the draw, that is for sure. Although it does make for it does make for fun first and second rounds, though you know, which can sometimes can be very boring. <laughs> I shouldn't say boring; just not headline news. The matchups. Wow, I didn't. I didn't realize. 450 points is a lot
2: yeah so she'll be unseated again at Indian Wells and see how she does
1: nice yeah well I was going to ask you as a coach because there was news there's big news well there's always a coaching carousel going on but the newest um (laughs) the newest fatality was Zachary Maria Zachary's coach um who, and she's been struggling for years. So I think most of the people in my tennis insider circle <laughs> agree that it might actually be a good thing and a good time to switch. But I'm curious, because from a coach's perspective, because you have, a, I think, um, probably a better perspective. What What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think a player has to do what they feel, right? If they're feeling like they're not building confidence and growing Going forward, uh, it's it's going to be tough. I think her coach is Tom Hill, right? Uh, yeah, he's he's actually really young. He's only like 28 years old, I think, and he's uh, a British a British coach. He also, I think, I thought they he coached Danielle Collins also. Oh, yeah. So he,
1: who's also having a good year? On the yes. side note,
2: <laughs> her last year though, right? You had talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty soon Tom Hill's going to be out of job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess he is right at the moment. Thankfully, other people are firing their coaches too. So there will be somebody looking. (laughs) Do you think?
2: It's interesting that he helped uh, Collins, you know, have that breakthrough year. And so you feel like uh, Sakari kind of took a chance on a young coach that helped uh, Daniel Collins uh, really break through, and maybe it was like a let's let's try this out, let's see. Because I mean, because he's so young, he doesn't have like a huge name, uh, and not a lot of players. There's a carousel, right, of these coaches coaching each other's really high level players. Mm-hmm. So he's, I don't feel like he's in that carousel yet. Um, so I feel like it makes sense that if she's not getting pretty immediate results that, um, you know, that she would keep looking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I hope it helps her. Cause, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you remember, was it me and you when we went and we were watching her practice, was it me and you, or was it me and, and she like went out of her way to say hi to us. She's such a,
2: I know she came up to nice the wall she's like, hey, nice hello. Person.
1: Yeah. And she's practicing. Yes. And serve. So sweet. So I just want her to do well. Cause she seems like a nice person and our interaction with her basically made me feel like she's a really nice person.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, he did coach her to the, the, her highest ranking. Uh, she got to world number three and, and Tom Hill was her coach during that time. Uh, so, you know, Maybe he had really great effect, but, yeah, it, it can't all be just the coach, though, right?
1: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that three is her um, ceiling?
2: I don't think so. I think she could do great things, but I think it's a mental thing for her, right? Uh, I think her play is amazing. Her movement is amazing. She obviously works super hard on her body because look how fit she looks, right? You remember when Silent in <laughs> Yo. person, you're like, look at those guns, man.
1: Yeah, she is yoked.
2: <laughs> Very impressive. So obviously she puts in the work. She does everything she needs to do. But, um, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me. I just have this belief that she has a hard time in those really tough moments. Maybe it's a self-belief. Maybe it's handling pressure, you know.
1: Is she like the Rublev of the WTA?
2: Mm, That's a good question. Yeah. Well, Rublev has a lot more weapons, but yeah.
1: But it still has like a somewhat of a ceiling against like, let's say a top three. Let's just say Djokovic, not that they, not a big three, a top three. Top three would be like your Djokovic, your Sinner, your Alcaraz. Uh, Whereas Rublev's, like, right up there, all these weapons, great, 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 but, like, also mentally uh, not that strong, and uh, the self-esteem is so low um, that in those tight moments, they just, like, there's not the same amount of belief and fight. I just wonder if Sakari is a similar thing, where she's not quite there with the Reb- Rubakina, uh Sabalenka, and Iga. She's very, very good, a lot of weapons and and all of those things but and then there's that mental side and that self-belief i just wonder if she has a little bit her and rublev are like uh mirroring each other on each tour
2: well i just remember four years ago watching andre rublev stun roger federer at the cincinnati uh what is it called the western southern
1: oh western and southern
2: yeah western and southern and you know this is his tournament right i mean he's won that tournament so many times he loves that surface i really thought uh, it was a no brainer and yet rublev took out roger federer on on one of his favorite surfaces i mean it's either cincinnati or dubai right I, so, and and wimbledon of course so yeah, yeah. and then i really remember roger talking about rublev and saying wow you know obviously he played better than me and that you know he's the future and he was just really praising rublev For how well he played uh and this was 2019 so four or five years ago and yet Rublev has not had his breakthrough so for him for me I feel like in Rublev's mind he is right there very close but constantly losing how tough is that right how tough is it to be that good to know that you can get to that place but not be able to break through. I think that's maybe the hardest challenge in tennis is to have that breakthrough.
1: Yeah, I love Rublev. Uh there there's a video of of him on, on or there's a uh, ATP has a video online right now with asking players um what they like about themselves. <laughs> and he's like nothing. I was like, "Oh, this poor soul. He's. So... <laughs> I just want to give him a big hug. I actually hope I get to see him. I hope I get to see him at Indian Wells and and say something very encouraging. <laughs> it's sometimes it's so sad to hear, but he actually played really well. Well, so it's like now that we're speaking on the ATP a little bit, uh, there are there were other tournaments going on. They're not the main." Uh, draw of this episode only because we're focusing on the bigger tournaments, the 1,000s and the math and the majors. Um, but there was uh, 500 in Rotterdam going on, and Rublev lost a really tight match to Dimonor.
2: I was <laughs> really surprised that he lost. I mean, I know Dimonor was really uh, on his game right now and on the rise, but I really thought Rublev was going to win that. And I think he did too, which is why he got so upset.
1: Yeah, he was he was very upset. That was such a good close match. Um but actually, did you I didn't get get a chance to watch all of um Sinner the final today, Sinner and Alex Dimitnar. Um I only caught some of it, but I watched the end of the first set, like 15 minutes of it, as Sinner's trying to serve out the set at 5-4. It was really tight. It was really really tight. Like Alex's really playing well in 2024 something happened in the off season
2: <laughs> really interesting to see what what that is like to dig a little deeper because I yeah I don't really follow him that much
1: yeah I I don't either and I think um the only thing that i I've noticed and, and I've also heard from all my insiders uh, all my connections <laughs> is he's he's definitely changed his approach a little bit more he's being more aggressive. Um But is that just like the only difference? You know, it's hard to it's hard to say if that was truly just the magical key that has led to so much of his success. But Sinner now has won his third tournament in a row,
2: right? And it was in Small straight sets, content. so it wasn't super close. Although,
1: well, the first the first set was super close, yeah. But I...
2: yeah, but it, it didn't go to tiebreak, and and also.
1: It was over an hour. The first set was over an hour and sinner served at 5-4 and didn't close it out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Could have had it for sure.
1: I mean, he was the 7-5 is a little misleading that they were battling for a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he he is he has to be the best defensive player on tour in my opinion now that Rafa is not playing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think Dimener can get to everything and put it back. It's just insane how good he is defensively can just keep the ball going so quick, reads the ball so well. He's not tall. Uh, you know, he's, I think he's like five, nine or just under six feet. So it's like amazing that he plays as well as he does. Um, but Center had a 7-0 head-to-head against him, so
1: <laughs> you got to feel like
2: <laughs> he walks in feeling pretty confident, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was already probably feeling quite confident. <laughs> he just won his first major, beating Djokovic, you know, f- three of the last four times they've played.
2: Yeah, and and also DeMeneur walking in saying, I have a 0-7 to head-to-head against this guy, you know? I mean, that's tough. Yeah. Uh...
1: yeah, that is definitely scar tissue.
2: If I'm going to win, it's going to be a miracle, right? I mean, this would be a yeah. huge breakthrough. Yeah, tough, tough act.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's another reason why the first set was a little tight is just because, you know, when someone's has a head-to-head like that, it's a, a lot of times it's it's easier for the, the player who has nothing to lose, right? And then the other one that has all the pressure. And so that's what makes it tight. And then once center got the first set, it kind of like, oh, okay, I can relax now. Like, all will, all will be well. And d probably thinks, oh, here we go again. Yeah. I don't know if you have plans to watch. There's another tournament. I think it's a 250 in Argentina right now going on. And Jari, Nicholas Jari, um, beat Alcaraz yesterday.
2: I saw, I saw that, yeah. It was incredible. I mean, Jari's serve
1: <laughs> is insane.
2: Uh, it's amazing how good he was serving. And... Alcaraz was doing the doll thing. He was literally against the wall, you know, <laughs> at the back of the court to return his serve. And he was returning it, but he was not killing it. He was putting it back in, you know, and it was like, wow, Jari. And Jari had such incredible hand skills. Did you see some of the net points? He would come he, to the he net good. And do a, an incredible drop shot. Like, inches away from the net. Many times he did that. And and then Carlos, as fast as he is, couldn't get to it. So he was doing Carlos against Carlos, you know. And there was one point where uh, Carlos did this amazing uh, shot. He runs up to the drop shot that Jari hits and puts it. You know how you put it right over the net, cross court, like super close to the net. Jari got it back and did the exact same thing. And Carlos was going the other way. It was insane. Aww it was really, really nice touch and feel. And so you're saying, who is this guy,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah. Who
2: is Nicholas Jari? I mean, that's our next deep dive, I guess, because wow.
1: Well, they cover him on the tennis podcast a lot. I think they they really like him, or at least uh, David um, from the tennis podcast seems to like him. And I find it fascinating because he's tall and he has that big serve. And you'd think he's a serve bot, but he actually plays really well on clay. He had a good clay court season last year.
2: I mean, he was old school. He was serve and volleying a lot of times, which is probably why David from Tennis Podcast likes him. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's that traditional. I mean, there are so many points where he would move forward and take the volley. It was it was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, and, but obviously he has huge strokes and he's got these long weavers, you know, it's just, wow. I, what, what I was impressed with was while he's hitting, he's not doing the traditional uh, shot. So Carlos could never find like comfortable footing to set up and hit his amazing forehand or his amazing backhand. Jari kept like, he would go backhand down the line, then forehand down the line, then Cross court, you just could not tell where Jari was going to hit, and you could tell that Carlos couldn't tell, and so he was always defending, defending, just getting it back, just, and then Jari would set up a point and win. It was stunning how well he could control the ball at any point on the court, rather than doing what we all teach, which is you know, um, high percentage tennis, like cross court, cross court, you know. Mm-hmm. Wait for the short ball. He never waited. He just kept attacking the ball and putting it in a place you just didn't expect, whether that was a drop shot, whether that was a down-the-line shot, whether that was cross-court where you expected to go down the line. I don't know how he's thinking, but it was surprising watching him.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the other thing is um, it, it looks like a headline, Jari beats Alcaraz, right? However, and it is a headline, but it's also not a headline because Jari's actually really good. But uh, also, like, he was playing low-percentage tennis, and today was his day, right? Those could have easily all been errors. Um, So Jari is in the final, and he will play a hometown favorite, Diaz Acosta, who I've actually never seen play before. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm sure it will be exciting either way. (laughs) For for them because they're both South Americans so either way they get they get a someone from their continent winning the title but we have our own continental tournament happening in Delray, Florida. Uh, tons of Americans in the draw, but Fritz and Paul are the ones who have made it to square off in the final. You gonna watch? <laughs> you gotta. You got any picks?
2: I am not. You know, as much as I love tennis, the the way that I watch tennis is through YouTube. And the problem with Delray is the footage is horrible. The cameras are really bad. And so it really makes it unenjoyable to watch. I mean, I did try to watch a couple of matches, um, but I just feel like what's up with these American tournaments and their really bad (laughs)
1: cameras? Oh, man. Well, we got to step it up, (laughs) camera people. Uh, Fritz, I'm sorry, not Fritz. Well, Fritz, I think if he... Wins he gets in the top ten. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that that's what's on the line for him. And uh, also, just you know, winning a tournament is always good for confidence and and building that back up because I feel like he had a, a rough go of it last year. But Tommy Paul was playing quite brilliantly, and he even said in his post match, uh, I don't know if it was an interview or or the conference, but um, he. Said he's, that was like the best match. His semifinal um, was the best match he played. I think he played Tiafo in, in like two years. Like he, he was so impressed with himself. <laughs> so he's really, he's really feeling it. And I normally like, a, I don't know. Normally this wouldn't be a 250 and not, I'm not really a Tommy Paul fan. I realize he's an amazing athlete and he's a great tennis player. His brand of tennis to me is not exciting, And I I tend to skip his matches. Um, But I think I might actually try and catch this one because I feel like uh, they got a lot to play for and American's American, V American on American soil should make it interesting. So uh, yeah, anybody (laughs) who wants, go check that one out because there's still time. No.
2: (laughs) Uh, This might be a little bit off topic, but I think one of the more interesting battles that's happening right now is with the american players is whose girlfriend has a a better youtube channel
1: (laughs) this is great i haven't i can't wait to hear
2: yeah so (laughs) so taylor fritz has an amazingly beautiful blonde girlfriend who's often in the box right you can see her at every match and she follows him around and she blogs and she has her own channel. Her name is Morgan Riddle. So I encourage you to check her out. And Tommy Paul for the last year has been dating an influencer who is also blonde, beautiful in in his box. Her, her name is Paige Lorenz, And so both of them have kind of the same kind of influencer uh, YouTube channel where it's not about tennis. It's about them. It's about their skincare, about the, the things that they do. Uh, the products that they wear the clothes you know super girly mm-hmm. but they'll they'll go to the match and so you get to see all this background stuff of Tommy Paul and background stuff of Taylor Fritz and uh, they'll you know have the passes and you know walk into the tournament and you get to see the players uh, area and you know they' you, you really get good inside info which is why I watch. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really fun to you know watch this channel so I would love for you to watch those YouTube channels and tell me what you think we should oh, discuss yes. that because sure.
1: it, it's I didn't so know funny about this.
2: yeah it's so fun you know I watch all those YouTube channels and one of my favorites of course is
1: is it Daria Kazakina? Thank
2: you, Daria Kazakina uh, and her channel. So I watch her and you see a lot of inside background stuff. And she, like, I think she's good friends with the uh, Rebekina, And even they had Sabalenka on the other day. And they were just, like, sitting in the player's cafeteria eating and talking. You know, it's just so fun. So yes. there's really that cool background stuff. Not so much of that with uh, Tommy Paul and uh, Taylor Fritz's girlfriend because they're You don't see them interacting with the players, but you do see them interacting with the players' girlfriends. So, like Paige Lorenz was hanging out with uh,
1: Paul's Paul's girlfriend?
2: No, no. (laughs) It's interesting that I haven't seen them two together. That's really interesting. You would think that they would do like a tag team YouTube connection, right? It it was actually uh, Paige Lorenz was hanging out with uh, Tiafo's girlfriend at one of the tournaments and so okay. they're both kind of waiting for their boyfriends to finish and while they're waiting they're like you know enjoying the city and going around and having fun
0: oh
1: man now i have all this content i gotta go look up i'm, I'm never gonna get out of the house
2: <laughs> i'm sorry to waste your time
1: <laughs> no it's okay i mean uh if it's tennis related it's never a waste of time <laughs> I do feel
0: like it
2: gives you background into tennis, because you get to see stuff you would never see, right? I mean, we would never have that kind of VIP access, but
1: Oh no, 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 we would. We we will one day. <laughs> <laughs> when we when we take over the world.
2: <laughs> so so here's the fan question for all of our listeners. Which YouTube channel do you like best? And uh, they don't even know we're talking about them, Paige and Morgan. So we're giving them lots of love.
1: Yes. i will try and slip into their DMs and let, let them know. Um, so speaking of random insider information, we have, this is uh, the perfect segue to the next thing on the, on the list of things. Uh, Carol Garcia, she's been um, teasing this new uh, podcast for, I don't know, three, four or five months, something. Um, and the first episode finally launched yesterday. And I, when I got that little alert, I was super excited. So it's called Tennis Insider and it's, uh, Caroline Garcia and her, it says partner. I don't know if this is her, you know, a, a romantic partner or a business partner, but it was a great episode. So the first episode it's, it's basically him interviewing her and them talking about her and her career and she was so um, open. I mean, the, some of the questions he asked were so blunt, like uh, the people talk about, like, hey, you know, when you're... Because her game style, as we all know, if we watch tennis, is, is attack, attack, attack. Very, very, very aggressive. And when it's on, hey, nobody's beating her. And when it's off, it's off. And she can have a very bad day and go down to anyone. Um, and he, he asked her do you ever think about maybe developing a plan B when you're, when you're like off, you know, and she, she had a great response, which I'll let you go listen and and hear. Um, but he asked a lot of these types of questions and she gave so much insight into like just the struggles of being a tennis tennis player, professional tennis player, how, yes, of course, you don't want to complain because you are living this dream life and it is a very good life, but you never get to see your family, your friends, um, There's so much sacrifice, and there's so much travel, um, and you lose way more than you ever win. I mean, unless you're, uh, that's what was so special about Federer, and then Nadal comes and does the same, and then Djokovic comes and takes it to another level. But those people are like, not of this world. That is not most people's experience um, on earth or in the tennis world and so yeah it just was really really great insight and I highly encourage anyone to listen I can't wait I hope when she has other players or coaches on the on the podcast hopefully she gets them to open up as much as she opened up it's in English it's in English yeah
2: that's great yeah, yeah, talking about losing, I mean, you know, you have a 32-person draw or 64-person draw, and you have one winner, so 31 people lose.
1: <laughs> Every week.
2: That's tennis. Every
1: week, over and over. Every
2: week, over and over, exactly.
1: Yeah, and to, they definitely, they deep dive into like, okay, so then it's so tiring, but do you, why don't you just maybe take a tournament off? And then it's like, no, because nobody else is taking a tournament off. And then now you're worried about ranking points. Now, and also you need to make money. Right, so she just so you know really dives into a lot of stuff, and I I found it to be one of the best interviews I've ever heard, like a a tennis player really talk in depth about. Uh, maybe like Djokovic's sixty minutes, that was pretty good. Like he's he really gave a lot of insight and depth. He didn't shy away from things, and I think that's what I like. There's certain players like a Medvedev, certain certain players like let you in, and they will really just. Give you so much insight. Others have like a uh, cookie cutter answers. Yeah. To get to get you through to the next one, um, and anywho, this is not a cookie cutter. You have to be with
2: the media, also, right?
1: Yeah, you have to be careful with media, and you don't want to give your opponents um, right a, an edge either, right? You don't want to sit there and say, "Yeah, I'm not confident." <laughs> or my weakness is my backhand. You know, like you don't want to be standing out there saying those things, but some of the players do it. And I'm just grateful for those players who are willing to, to do that. Um,
2: that reminds me of the Laura Sigmund uh, podcast. Did, did you ever have a chance to listen to that?
1: Oh, I don't think I did. Dang it. Okay. I encourage
2: all of our listeners to go and find that Laura Sigmund, Sigmund podcast.
1: Oh, yes. Uh,
2: and so he... Uh, interviewed her and she talked about openness and wanting to give up and where does it, you know, h- how did she feel about herself and, and her training? It was really great. So it sounds like it's very similar, but I can't wait to listen to the Carol podcast. I definitely will listen to that.
1: Yeah. I've, I've super excited that it launched. I hope it stays as good and I can't wait. It's a Craig Shapiro. Is that his name?
2: Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm going to go look that up because I'll, I'll listen to that today
2: interview is really, really great. Yeah, just so... He was stunned that she was being so open and and talking about how hard it was and what her life was like and and that she didn't receive the coaching that could have propelled her to be a lot better than she is. Very interesting.
1: Nice. Thanks for bringing that up again because you had brought that up in a previous talk and I completely forgot about it. Um, So I'm going to have to go... Do that. That's along my list of things today to do today. I'm actually I have a two hour drive, two hour drive today, so it's perfect. Yes, yes, exactly. That I might do. You know, when I wake up in the morning or before bedtime, that'll be a bed bedtime scrolling. <laughs> oh yes, I Lord knows I need them. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll try them. Who knows? Maybe it'll be like this brand new Valerie, this Valerie who. Puts makeup on um, and the world will will not be ready for it. beautiful, um, beautiful in <laughs> any
2: way you present yourself. You're such a beautiful person.
1: Thanks, Philip.
2: Yeah, and a beautiful girl. <laughs>
1: um, we have some upcoming tournaments. Uh, we have some smaller tournaments. We have Los Cabos in Mexico. It's a 250 where Zverev and Tsitsipas are the top two seeds. Um, we have Doha. Uh, for the men, cause we obviously had the women. So the men are going to Doha and Rublev is the top seat at that one. And we have, um, a tournament in Rio in Brazil, uh, Alcaraz will be headlining that. So the guys are kind of spread out everywhere. There's a lot of smaller tournaments happening, but our major focus, um, is going to be Dubai, which is start as Philip said, it's already started, um, and it's a WTA 1000 event. So back-to-back WTA 1000 events, which I think is kind of crazy. <laughs> They're like week, yeah, week after, one week after another, it just kind of seems a, a little um, poor in the scheduling thought. But anyway, exciting for us because we get these amazing draws. And Sabalenka's now back in the draw because she wasn't at Doha. So that's pretty exciting, I think. Um, what I haven't had a chance to look at the draw Philip, to see like who's on what side and, um, or half of the draw, but do you have any exciting things that you're excited about for Dubai or do you have predictive winners?
2: Gosh, I, it just makes me miss Roger Federer because I always think of Roger Federer in Dubai. You know, and I think he still has a house there and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So how sad that we don't get to see him play one of his favorite tournaments and I always think of Dubai as a very fast tournament as well. Uh, as far as their surface, and I feel like they kept it fast for Roger, but I don't know if that's true. Or
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should. I mean, at least someone should have, because they saw. Uh, imagine how many more Grand Slams he would have had. But the the tour around eight years into his career, all the courts started slowing down.
2: Yeah, um, and I, they- I think it's just stunning that I, I, I don't. I don't think Rabakina has pulled out of Dubai, but she's scheduled to play tomorrow. So you know, is she going to play that, uh, I should follow up, but I just can't believe the schedule for these people. is just insane.
1: It really is. And you would think with at least you would hope, I guess, or I would hope that with them being back to back one thousands, because Miami and, uh, Indian Wells are, are considered a back to back, but there's a week in between there's or weeks, right? There's a lot of time in between. It's like, um, uh, some these a thousand events sometimes, especially for women, they're like harder than a major because there's no days off. You're playing every single day, and at least for women, it's still two out of three. Men can argue that uh a slam is harder because there's a three out of five element, even though you get a day off. But with the women, it's basically a major with no days off.
2: Yeah, and the and the question is how far in the last draw did you go? So if you're Rivakina, you got to the final you literally have no days off because you're just traveling and boom you're into the next tournament because you made it to the final whereas if you lost first round okay you got a week or so right to recover yeah. and set up and but it just shows you like a Djokovic a Federer and a Nadal when they're winning they have to play the next tournament almost immediately because they played the full tournament of the last tournament <laughs> yeah. and if they got it to the finals or if they won that they start the next tournament right away because they make them so close
1: it's true and actually at least with the big three they had better scheduling uh, personal scheduling where they actually took yeah towards the end they started to actually take off tournaments that weren't big because generally these really big ones aren't so back-to-back it's more like um you might have a thousand and then a 250 next like the next day but, but maybe a better player might say I'm gonna skip the 250 but to have two back-to-back when thousands is pretty crazy and what I think is crazy about what you just mentioned is Nadal for most of his career on the clay swing he went back to back to back On all the clay court tournaments, whether they were 250s, 500s, or 1000s, or Roland Garros, right? And he was playing, and he won. And it was like, how does the... And he... Man, that guy was running, right? He wasn't playing like a serve and volley, my matches are over in 55 minutes. (laughs) Like, he was grinding. He was grinding. He was probably running a mini-marathon, In every single one of his matches. And for for many, many years, you know, he would go the entire clay season with maybe with no losses or like one loss in a final to Federer or Djokovic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's just, yeah. I mean, it just gives me, reminds me of how hard it was that what Nadal did and how hard it is for these players. Gosh, they're so tired. So if Rebecca plays tomorrow, does that mean Iga's playing tomorrow too? Or did she get a... Is she playing Tuesday? Oh, wait, is she playing? Because actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm over here talking about um, 1000s being very, very similar to a major, practically the same thing, just no days off. But I think they actually, don't they get a bye? For the first. For the first round? Yeah. Yeah, so would she already be playing a second round tomorrow?
2: Well, it shows, if you're talking about uh, Rabakina, if uh, it shows on the schedule that she was scheduled for a Monday play, and then it says to be determined for her opponent. So they, I think because they've already started, so this is the second round. <laughs> uh, <gasps> right? I mean, that's crazy.
1: That is crazy. I thought, I thought when it had already started, I thought maybe um, it was like qualifying today. And the tournament would start tomorrow, but you're right; it's already the first round today.
2: Yeah, and point too. So uh, they're talking about how this is going to be interesting—a challenge for eco because Sabalenka is back in the draw. So
1: yeah, that should be interesting. Um,
2: Dubai, you know, uh, again, I keep talking Roger better, but he won that title eight times, which is amazing. Followed by Novak, who won it five times. Uh, very cool that this. That's why I associate Dubai with him. And but uh, in Dubai this time, I think it's, what's exciting is Medvedev is back. So let's see what happens with Medvedev. He's had a long break uh, and Rublev. So I, my, my call would be Medvedev and Rublev. You know.
1: Yeah. Nice. And um, I'm checking out the schedule for tomorrow in Dubai. And I actually don't think. I I don't see Rabakana or Iga on the schedule. I think it must be um the other half of the draw that's playing, um, maybe the bottom half. Yeah, it's the bottom. The I think maybe the oh it might actually be a mix. Oh, it's because they have a bye. So, but yeah, they're they're not on the schedule. We have uh, Azarenka. We have Zheng Wen and Pliskova. Um we have Ostapenko, Kalanina, Svitolina, Kazakina, Fernandez, Potopova, Kudermirtova, Samsanova, Badosa, and uh Pavlian Chekova, Martich, and that's all the singles matches.
2: Oh, I thought Tom and Rabikina was pretty exciting, even though the scoreline doesn't show at at, at all. But Uh, It was pretty impressive. Pavluchenkova's hitting was really impressive.
1: Yeah, she was playing really well. Uh, It's good to see her playing well. Hopefully she can keep that up.
2: Yeah. And the hug after that match was, I think they're very good friends.
1: Yeah, it was very sweet.
2: Yeah, it's very sweet. That was nice.
1: That's nice. Well, so we have Dubai to look forward to, and we will be recording a recap for Dubai because it is a 1,000 event. Um, and it will also prequel uh, San Diego, <laughs> maybe uh, some Indian Wells and things like that. In fact, um, Philip and I have a outing. We're going to go on a road trip and we're going down for qualifying to San Diego um, next weekend and it should be really fun.
2: That should be fun and we got to definitely do a podcast recording as we're driving down. So we'll talk a little bit about you know, the current state of the tournaments and also, you know, what's happening as we're heading down to San Diego, if people want to join us.
1: It sounds like a great idea, Philip. And also I think we should come ready with um, whether it's an iPhone mic or uh, any other sort of mic, because there's a really easy access to players in San Diego. Um, I I literally was listening to Simone, um, Simone, (laughs) Simone, What am I talking about? I was listening to Sloan Stevens, um, and Garbina Muguruza talk about where they vacation. Like I was one feet away from them as they were practicing and they were, t- they took a break and they were sitting there and they were like with, um, with Muguruza's coach, but a living legend. Anyway, I'm sitting like two feet away from them and they're just chit-chatting about the Maldives and you know, like, Oh, what, what they like, um, Really, really good stuff. But there's a there's a good field there. I, I don't know who I'm most excited. I definitely want to see Hadaj Maya play. Um, Pagula's going to be there. So hopefully it would be great to, to get to see her play. We have Bedosa, Donna Vekic coming back. She, had, she made it to the final last year, I think. Um, or, or maybe that was the year before. Anyway, it's a, it's a good, strong field. Wozniaki will be there. Um, I can't remember. I'm sure I'm forgetting some of the people that are going to be there. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's a great tournament.
2: That way I can record their conversations while they're five feet away from us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and say we interviewed them.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, right? We'll be like, hey. <laughs> Headline news, you know, <laughs> exclusive.
2: <laughs> Sloan Stevens' vacation destination. <laughs> Listen here?
1: <laughs> yes, and actually, like Madison Keys and Coco like uh, I definitely could have had I been in the mindset and the willingness to try and do something like that. And Coco's parents, uh, they're not going to be, or Coco's not going to be there this year. Um, the year I'm talking about was the year that the the end of um, year finals the WTA tour finals was in Dallas so for for that reason San Diego was stacked like all top 10 players were there because they were trying to get a warm-up before Dallas Um, it's normally not that stacked but that year it was stacked it was great and Coco was walking around and just talking to everyone because there's not very many fans there it's not um, hugely attended. And then, uh, her parents were there too, talking to people, taking selfies and signing stuff. And, um, it was just, it was one of the most, or actually it was absolutely the most intimate player, um, fan interaction that I've, that I've experienced. Um, and I have been to some smaller tournaments back in the day. Um, and Indian Wells used to be somewhat cozy and intimate. It was quaint. It was quaint, you know, 15, 20 years ago (laughs) before Larry Ellis took over and really um, made it our fifth, the real fifth major.
2: (laughs) He poured so much money to it. And it's such a beautiful event. And I think that's also why they come to San Diego is they're just going to go to Indian Wells. They love coming to California and spending time here. It's part of their vacation, right? So they they all, everyone talks about how much they love coming to California to play Indian Wells, but also just to be here and be in LA. So we often hear them, Oh, they're in Los Angeles. They're doing something. And it's like, gosh, it'd be great if we could catch somebody, you know?
1: Right. I was thinking we should go hang out at LAX or, you know, just <laughs> see who walks by because actually I saw, I saw um, when Sinner was leaving Australia, I don't remember where he flew to, but he flew somewhere. And someone was like, oh, I'm just at the airport, and here comes Sinner walking by with a bag that I know has the Australian Open trophy in it. <laughs> like, how cool would that be? <laughs> We're going to become
2: tennis paparazzi.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, actually, almost every time I'm at LAX, I do see some sort of, like, actor or someone, but I I never see um, tennis people, sadly, because that's who I would, I would get more excited for. <laughs>
2: yeah, the only person that I... That I saw at LAX that was kind of huge was Fred Durst. Do you remember him?
1: Uh-huh. Was, yeah, Biscuit.
2: Yeah. Nice. I totally recognized him from videos and I walked up in and I said, do I know you? Like, I really felt like I knew him. And then I realized, oh, he's this huge artist. Oh, that's why I know him because I watched him on video. <laughs> he was picking up his daughter. <laughs> I thought he was my friend because I recognized him. It was so funny.
1: Oh, that's awesome. You know what? I was I was at a supermarket the other day and I had the same thing where I saw someone. I was like, I think I know you. Have we met? And then I'm like, as I'm walking away, I'm going, oh my God, I think they're in a TV show I used to watch years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder how often they deal deal with that. Like people thinking <laughs> they know. Like not trying to be a paparazzi, just really thinking like, oh, I like trying to be not rude, right? And interact with someone you think you know.
2: <laughs> well, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to just point our phone at somebody and they'll tell us who they are and then we won't be a, an idiot. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, actually, we probably won't need a phone. We'll have some sort of headset on that just filters, filters the information into our brain.
2: Well, speaking of something to wear, do you have a
1: Tennis Pal uh,
2: shirt or a
1: sweatshirt or something? I don't. I have nothing.
2: Mine so that you can share and then we can both be wearing Tennis Pal gear so that we can say, hey, we're from Tennis Pal (laughs) and we'll record you. (laughs) So that's the least we could do, right?
1: No, that will be perfect. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Sign me up.
2: Yes, exactly. We definitely will do that. And that reminds us of our incredible sponsor, Tennis Pal. Thank you so much, Halle and the team, for keeping the app going. We love you guys so much. And we encourage everyone to download and uh, use the Tennis Pal app, post a picture, tell us about your tennis experience and your tennis journey, and, just, and join the community. It's so great. And, of course, you can find people to play with as well.
1: Yes, do it. Fill up. Thanks so much for uh, hanging out today and chatting about all this wonderful tennis.
2: What a lovely Uh, morning to spend with you. It's so great.
1: Likewise. And I can't wait to see you. I'm going to see you in six days and we're going to have a nice adventure.
2: Absolutely. And we had such a fun time last time going to Indian Wells. That was great.
1: Yeah. And we get to go to Indian Wells today. Uh, I mean, next month. (laughs) today Uh,
2: so if you haven't heard that episode of us traveling to indian wells go dig it up it's a lot of fun uh tennis pal chronicles and i think you'll have a good it'll be a good prequel to what we're going to do in san diego thanks for listening everyone and may all your serves be aces.
0: aces